Welcome to Pod Oxford, the podcast series about Oxford admissions. I'm Mike Nicholson, Director of Undergraduate Admissions, and with me today are Helen Christian, Tutor in Biomedical Science at St Anne's College, and Robert Wilkins, Tutor in Physiology and Fellow of St Edmund Hall. Today we're going to be talking predominantly about interviews for medicine, and I can start maybe with you, uh, Robert. I think a constant question for many applicants is, why are we even interviewing? Sure, okay, well, there are several reasons why um, we would want to interview candidates. One important reason for us is that we receive an enormous number of applications, probably around 1,100 for a small number of places, about 151, and it's very difficult for us to discern quality of the applicants to be able to distinguish them from what we see on paper and we find that if we interview candidates we can gain additional information that helps us in making the right selections. Another reason is that in those selections that we we are making we're using a series of criteria and some of those criteria relate to the suitability to practice medicine, Mm -hmm. things like empathy and communication skills and so on. And they're obviously much easier for us to assess in person. We can't really get that information from uh, a paper application. And finally, uh, in the first three years of our course, uh, a great deal of our uh, teaching is provided in the form of tutorials. And it's uh, um, really very helpful for us to be able to see how uh, candidates in an interview setting uh, respond to our questions because to some extent that mimics the tutorial setting which they will be educated in when they arrive in Oxford. And students of course can see what the criteria are because you you give that information on your website. Yes, they're all listed on the web and they're divided into two sets. One relates to the uh, suitability to practice medicine and the other um, is a series of... uh, qualities that we believe uh, reflect academic potential. And I think it's also worth re-emphasising the issue about the the tutorial style of education. There aren't many other universities that operate in that way, so for us the interview is... It's a very important way of uh, of seeing how how somebody would perform uh, in that setting, yeah. Yeah. Now, I think for many candidates, having appreciated that they will have an interview, probably the next question is what actually happens at an interview. Maybe if Helen you can... uh, and reveal all there? Well, the format is that each candidate is interviewed at two colleges and you'll be invited uh, to come to Oxford for lunchtime and the first, uh, to the first college and you'll be welcomed by the medical tutor running the interview process at that college and they'll explain the process in more detail as to what will be happening that afternoon. Most candidates will have two interviews that afternoon at the first college, spend the night at that college, and the next morning be taken to the second college. And there again, the medical tutor will welcome uh, the candidate and explain the process before being interviewed uh, that morning. And then you're free to leave at the lunchtime. And two interviews at two separate colleges. The colleges don't know what college you've selected as part of the application process, if indeed you have done so and the college choice is blind to the interview panels at each college. So really what we're seeing is the college choice doesn't have any impact on our final decisions. It's also, I think, probably just worth pointing out, we're not interviewing everybody for medicine, are we? No, that's right. We're we're interviewing about 40 to 45% of our applicants. As I said already, we have a large number. So what we try to do is to identify on the basis of information available to us uh, those candidates that we think stand the best chance of uh, 
winning a place at Oxford to read medicine. And the information we use is the um, academic performance, uh, largely based on GCSE performance. Mm-hmm. Um, and alongside that, we also have the BMAT, the Biomedical Admissions Test. And we use those two pieces of information along with any other information at the margins that might be relevant, such as perhaps disrupted education, mm-hmm. um, to come to a view as to who we think are about the 425 most likely people to gain a place at Oxford. Mm. And it is those that we invite uh, to come for an interview. That BMAT obviously takes quite a, an important part in the whole process. And for many of our applicants, they are probably quite interested in know what use we put the BMAT to. One of the things I've picked up over the time that I've been here is one thing that doesn't happen is that we sit there and the college tutors have the BMAT results in front of them. No, that's absolutely right. Um, there's a central admission uh, admissions exercise that is performed to come up with the 425 people, and the college tutors do not know the BMAT scores of those 425 people that are invited for interview. And um, we don't actually have that information, it's not revealed to us until after we have seen the candidates and they've left Oxford and we have ranked them on the basis of their interview performance. So say a student who who maybe feels they've underperformed in one of the areas of the BMAT, they shouldn't worry too much about whether that's going to prejudice the view of the admissions tutor interviewing in the college. That's absolutely right because we will only have that information after we have come to a view about the um, student from meeting them and talking to them and asking them some questions. Mm. I think finally, I guess the students shouldn't be trying to remember at the time they're doing the BMAT what they're saying because we're not going to be quizzing them on that either. We're not, no. Helen, the students are probably, for many of them, going to be engaged in an academic interview for the first time ever. And for many of them might even be the first time they've ever been interviewed for anything. What sort of things do they need to think about? For instance, what should they be wearing? I mean, do we have any dress codes that they need to adhere to? We don't have a dress code, but as a doctor you'll be dealing with the public and I think a presentable appearance would be expected. Mm. But from that, obviously, we don't want people to be sitting there twitching uncomfortably because they've bought a brand new suit or they've got <laughs> shoes that are sort of pinching at their toes or whatever. Absolutely not, no. Yeah. So dress smartly but comfortably. Yeah. And how many people will be actually interviewing them behind that closed door? It, it varies from college to college. At uh, my college, each interview has a panel of two interviewers at two separate interviews. Mm. And um, one interview panel will be directed more towards uh, clinical aspects Mm -hmm. of your application, your um, ideas of medicine and and your motivation to study medicine, whereas the second interview will be directed more towards your enthusiasm for science and academic potential. Mm. Is that the same situation at your college? That is the same at my college at St Edmund Hall. We have a clinical interview and a more academic-related interview. Um, But I would point out that that's not true for all colleges, and you may find those two areas um, both being uh, addressed in a single interview Mm -hmm. in a room where there are two people and one is coming with with his clinical hat on and one is coming with her academic hat on. But it won't be 12 people sitting in judgment wearing a full academic dress? Certainly not. No, No gowns in sight and a very small number of people in the room. Excellent. Um, the candidates are probably most interested, I suspect, in the sort of questions that they might be asked. Um, 
there's a number of different issues. I think one is, first of all, that many people get a false impression of interview questions because they read websites or they look at newspaper reports and, and people give all sorts of ideas about, you know, questions. The Daily Telegraph website, for instance, um, claims that people have been asked things like, you know, tell me about drowning or what do you think of assisted suicide or when are people dead? Do we ask these sort of questions? And if so, why? What are we trying to achieve by it? Helen, maybe. I don't ask those kind of questions, but I think there's also an issue where you can expect to be asked questions that you haven't thought about before and mm -hmm. that may seem particularly challenging to you at the time. And there's no point in worrying about those kind of questions. I would advise to, when they are asked, simply take your time and think very carefully mm -hmm. at the time and ask for clarification of the question if um, you're not entirely sure what the what the interviewer is asking but of course often these questions um, that that appear out, out of context and you know at the time it might have been that there was a particularly scientific mm -hmm. um, approach to, to, to the questions Robert if we follow down on the idea that we're looking at two, two facets really suitability to practice medicine and academic potential the two areas are probed with questions that are different types I mm. think so if we're looking at the first one which and these questions I think um, I think Helen's right are taken out of context but I think you can see that they're really questions about suitability to practice med medicine about ethical mm -hmm. concerns whether people have thought about the sort of um, dilemmas and contradictions there might be in practicing medicine mm -hmm. um, and I think a good starting place to think about those sort of questions is actually really in a in um, what used to be called a broadsheet newspaper, a quality yeah. newspaper, where if you go and have a look nearly every day, there are articles about the current sort of hot topics in science and medicine. Yes. And we can all think of the sorts of things that uh, might lend themselves to questions, um, stem cells, cloning, postcode prescribing. Mm -hmm. And those sort of things, I think, are uh, areas that you might be expected to perhaps have some interest or knowledge in. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure you really that there's a right or wrong answer no. to to these sort of questions. I think it's just that it would be hoped that you could see arguments for and against certain positions. Mm. And then if we look at the other sort of area that we're going to, to be interested in, which is academic potential, well, we're probably there going to start by thinking about what you're studying at school mm. and perhaps pick up on a subject that you're particularly enjoying, engaged with at the moment, and identify something that you're studying. And perhaps take some knowledge that you've got yes. from your AS, A-level course, and follow it through and see if you can take what you know and extend your understanding and think about problems in a way that perhaps you haven't before. Mm. And clearly that's, of course, what an Oxford tutorial is about, taking yes. things that you know and seeing if you can take them further and understand perhaps why things happen, what, why things happen in a particular way, what the significance of what you've learnt actually is. And I'm assuming one of the things that students, candidates must do is remember that they're in a dialogue. So just kind of clamming up isn't going to help, but equally just kind of spouting out an answer and then not being able to discuss it or talk about it is equally going to be a difficult position for, for them to be in. That's right, yeah. The 
question I think that most candidates are probably really concerned about is, you know, you've asked me something and I just don't have any idea. I have no clue at all about what you're trying to get from this question. I don't even understand the question. And at that point, I suspect many students think, oh, well, that's it. Game over. I've failed. That's not the situation, though, at all, is it? No, not at all. Um, in fact, quite the opposite, really. And what we will do is that uh, in an interview where a candidate gets stuck or doesn't know something or can't see how to go forward, we'll give a little nudge and we'll yes. try and move move the, the candidate on, the applicant on, to uh, with, with a hint, yes. if you like, or perhaps even with the answer to the question we asked in order to see if, with that information, the uh, candidate can go on and see the relevance or the importance and think about where we're trying to go with the question. Mm. Um, so really, I would say that actually it's it's not what you know that we're trying to probe, it's what you can do with it. Right. And I think as well, for a lot of candidates, 20, 25 minutes, there's going to be a few things that they, they can't answer but we're looking over the entirety of the interview. It's not how you perform in the first five minutes that sets the, the agenda for the rest of the... No, it's uh, it's obviously uh, throughout the interview and uh, messing up one question completely so that uh, an interviewer goes off in a different direction mm. shouldn't be read as meaning that um, the interview has been disastrous. Mm. Can I just ask, again, this question I've, I've often been approached with by candidates or, or their advisors, we're not setting up interviews with very structured questions where it's the same question asked of every candidate, is it, Helen? Um, we might have a sort of starting point, but... Yes, there's, there's, there may be a, a, a framework of, of, of criteria that, that, we, that we actually want to assess in that interview, mm. but the questions will vary. Mm. And for that reason, of course, when candidates come out of the interview, it's not a good idea to go talking to everybody else and then or assuming that you know they're going to be asked exactly the same question. Absolutely not. We do have a fair bit of, um, I guess, downtime as well when people come down for interview. Um, and candidates sometimes wonder what they can be doing to make best use of that time. Have you any sort of comments to make about what else they could be doing when they're not actually sitting in that interview room? Well, um, often there are present current students at the college helping with the uh, interview process. I think it's always good to talk about, talk to people that already here again yes. to find out more about um, about Oxford and, and life in Oxford and I think as and you know any any uh, reading work or or um, chat to other candidates mm. about their experiences perhaps at other medical school interviews and, and learn as much as you can from the experience yes Robert. well we're, also another thing I would say is we're sort of um, in at different colleges or using the same selection criteria so mm. so in a way the sort of questions you're getting asked while they may not be identical mm. uh, are looking for the same things yes. so perhaps a bit of reflection after the interview about how sensible was your answer mm -hmm. did you miss anything out might come in handy when you get to the next college because yes. I emphasize the questions won't be the same but they will be on the same lines yes so thinking about how how uh, you could perhaps improve an answer if you feel you didn't give it your best um, might be worthwhile worthwhile to do while you're here. Excellent. A final question. Um, students hopefully will be listening to this podcast in advance of the interview <laughs> rather than weeping sort of uh, uncontrollably afterwards and wishing that they had. Um, is there anything they can be doing to prepare for the interview? Helen. 
I think as as for any interview, it's worth thinking carefully and anticipating questions that that you might uh, expect, and to um, think about very clearly about what your answers will be to those questions. And it's not about having a, a, a rehearsed answer, but just to allow you to have clear answers that that you feel confident and prepared about. Mm. And these will in particular relate to your motivation to study medicine and reflect very carefully in particular about the work experience that you've taken part in, that you can uh, talk about the experiences and show that you've engaged with with the medical environment very closely. Uh, So rather than just sort of having something put on your application form... You actually need to be able to converse in some detail, maybe about that experience. And Absolutely, what. and to be honest and 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 frank about the experiences. Yes, um, candidates don't need to dash off and read a whole load of medical textbooks before they come. No, they don't. I think it would be helpful for them to be up to speed on what they've been doing in their AS coursework, uh, because that will be used for the interview. I think, as I indicated before, it's also useful if they're keeping an eye on. Um, newspaper articles, so looking out for scientific articles and medical articles that are appearing in in newspapers mm. because those are areas which are ripe for discussion yes. in, an, in an interview. And so I think the best place to find that is in, in a daily newspaper. Yeah. Well, I've, I've learned an awful lot. Thank you very much, Helen and Robert. Um, if you enjoyed the podcast and don't want to miss the next one, then you can sign up to the RSS feed at our website, which is www.admissions.ox.ac.uk slash podcasts. You'll also find past podcasts on this site. Alternatively, you could also subscribe via iTunes. Simply search for Oxford University or Pod Oxford and follow the instructions. And finally, uh, if you wish to look at the blog that I wrote last year uh, on interviews, that can be accessed at www.oxblogster.blogspot.com. Thank you very much for listening.